0: I mentioned earlier that today we get to celebrate both communion and baptism. Two ordinances, two pictures, two God-ordained pictures and things for us to celebrate together as we look to the scriptures to remember who we are and what Christ has done. And what I'd like to do is I'm going to spend time talking about baptism reminding us of what the scriptures say or perhaps looking for the first time at what the scriptures say about baptism. We talk about communion a little more often, actually way more often than we talk about baptism. So I want to take time talking about baptism today today. Uh, particularly because of, uh, like I said, the, the lack of teaching, I think, that we've perhaps provided on, at least in the form of a sermon, and also knowing where we live. We live in a, a, a heavily Catholic and a heavy, heavy area that's full of church of Christ, disciples of Christ, disciples of God, two uh, denominations who teach uh, wrong views of baptism, and you might be carrying those in with you. And I'd like to show you from the word of God, I'm not trying to poke fun, I'm not trying to throw stones, but I'd like to, to show you from the word of God what God has to say about baptism. I do this uh, for two reasons. First, I'd like to better understand baptism as spectators, right? Uh, The vast majority of us, whenever we have a baptism service, are going to be spectators unless there's ever a day. It would be a glorious day if there's ever a day where the people being baptized actually outnumber the people not being baptized. That's not likely. So most of us will be more spectators than we will be baptized People, at least at any one baptismal service. So I'm hoping that the Word of God would help us to celebrate and enjoy watching people celebrate baptism. But secondly, you may be one who hasn't been baptized and should be. I hope by better understanding the importance behind baptism, uh, uh, both what it means, what it depicts, and what it doesn't mean and doesn't depict, God might cause some among us to move. Uh, From a position of disobedience in this area to a position of obedience, lining up one more area of our life in line with the scriptures and in line with the word of God. So, I'd like to quickly point out to you eight things from the word of God. Yes, I just said quickly and eight things. We'll see how it turns out. But let's get started. Point number one in your outline says, baptism does not save us from our sins. That's a very important point to make that I want to make right from the outset, that there is no action, no ritual, nothing apart from God's sovereign saving grace and mercy that saves us from our sins. That's why Philip chooses to tell the Ethiopian about Jesus. If you look in verse 35, uh, Philip opened his mouth and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus, he explained to him from the word of God about Isaiah. He didn't look to the Ethiopian and say, never mind that, let me talk to you about this thing called baptism, because that's more important. No, he explained to him what is of most importance, as the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, the gospel. That's why he, because baptism doesn't save. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1 17, Christ did not send me to baptize, uh, but to preach the gospel. Uh, Is that because baptism isn't important? Not at all. It's because it's not of first importance because the gospel is of first importance. If you look in your outline, there's some scriptures I've put there for you to consider. Ephesians 2, verses eight and nine. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. We are not saved by any work on our part but by the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Titus chapter 3 and verse 5 says, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. When Paul lays out the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15, he speaks of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. He then goes on to substantiate Christ's resurrection. Nowhere does he mention baptism. Now that's not because baptism isn't important, but it is because baptism doesn't save. So if Paul has a very limited time in front of his audience, if Paul only has so much ink in the pen, if Paul wants to highlight something, he's going to highlight that which saves, that which he calls of first importance, 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 3, and that is the gospel. Now, just because baptism doesn't save doesn't mean it's not important. It's just not of first importance. And although baptism doesn't say, that brings us to our second point. Baptism does symbolize our salvation. Baptism is a sign pointing to something greater than itself. Perhaps you will drive someplace in the warmer months to come. Maybe you will take a vacation somewhere, whether it's someplace near or far. Chances are you will see a sign having something to do with where you're headed or the direction in which you're headed before you get there. You stopping and camping out by that sign and celebrating that you found the sign would be like so not cool, right? Because you're not where you need to get to. You're not at the destination. The sign points to something greater. The sign points to something better. So whether you're driving to Myrtle Beach or Orlando or out west or up to Chicago or I don't know where you're going, when you see a sign, you say, cool, we're getting closer. It's pointing to something. Baptism symbolizes our salvation, although baptism itself, does not save. In Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, we read, the, we read these words. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. When someone is immersed in baptism, so much is illustrated. First is the obvious, right? Like dry to wet. The person who is immersed in baptism looks way different after the baptism than they did before the baptism. It's, it, it's a good reminder for us. It's a healthy reminder for us of how much it changes in our hearts, in our minds, in our very lives When we're saved, right? Our identity before Jesus completely changes. No longer am I associated with the sins that once held me bondage, that held me captive to my whole entire being, but now I've been set free and been given a new identity in Christ. So that dry to wet reminds me that I'm a changed person, that I'm no longer the same person that I used to be. Whether I came out of a very dark past or not, a huge change has taken place. Friends, you need to remember that, that whether, you've been, uh, whether you were, were, were running like headlong to hell with the choices that you were making in your life and God saved you, or whether you were brought up in a, a very solid Christian home and all of a sudden your parents' faith became your faith, that change, when you, inha- when you uh, receive faith, the gift of faith is massive. Massive, regardless of what it looks like on the outside. Some people go from a very dark lifestyle to a very bright one and you can see the change. Other people go from I kind of believed because I was always told to believe, to no, I really personally love Jesus. Baptism, whether that person comes from, from a very dark past to a light past, or like what seems to be just like light gray to to white or whatever it is, from, from not so dark to brighter. Everyone looks the same in the baptismal pool, dry to wet. It levels the playing field, reminding us that all of us are like sheep who have gone astray, each one to his own way, and God has saved us. So baptism depicts that salvation of going from dry to wet. We look way different after we're baptized than we did before. This reminds us of the difference Christ makes in our lives. The old is gone. The new has come. The old has been put away. We've put on a new person in Christ Jesus, but in Romans six, we see another picture Romans six verses three and four speaks of the burial and the resurrection of Christ, as someone is baptized it 's also a reminder to us of christ 's burial and resurrection it 's a reminder to us that we identify and, and, and receive by imputation the effects of christ 's death, burial, and resurrection, that we receive the benefits of christ 's death on the cross. The fact that he paid for our sins on Calvary's tree. That because Christ rose from the grave, we too will rise as well. And we're reminded of our identity in Christ. Of of what has changed as a result of the gospel. Now, you might say, well, there are some churches that baptize by sprinkling. Such as like a Presbyterian church. Well, you need to understand that the word in the Greek for baptism or to baptize, it's actually not a scriptural word. It's a Greek word. It literally means to plunge, to dip, to immerse. Like you would baptize your dishes. That doesn't mean you take it. It's not a holy thing. You You would submerge your dishes. You would baptize your laundry it's it's immersing it's not a so so in order to baptize by sprinkling you'd have to say we're immersing by sprinkling if you say it a few times slowly you realize it sounds it sounds a little off we don't see any reason in the scriptures that baptism would be done by sprinkling that doesn't mean that those who do baptism by sprinkling aren't saved and not in the family of god every family has you know the odd cousin. So, so it's it's not that it's it, it's it's not that they're bad. Or, but it, it we don't see a scriptural basis for baptism by sprinkling, and the whole illustration that we just pointed out, the whole illustration that is that comes with baptism by immersion would be lost if you choose a mode of baptism that is not what baptism says it is, which is uh, immersion. So. Uh, That's what baptism is explained to us as. In Acts chapter 8, verse 38, he commanded the chariot to stop. That's the text we read if you look in your Bibles. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. The two people going into the water wouldn't go into the water if they were just sprinkled. And modern-day Presbyterians don't go into the water to be sprinkled. I mean, so, so they wouldn't go into the water to baptize him, uh, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. They would just sprinkle him. So the fact that he goes into the, un, uh, into the water further shows us that there was an immersion that takes place, evidenced by the fact that they went in and came out. And also this lines up with the word baptizo or bapto. Moving on to number three, baptism is not necessary for salvation. There are some who won't say that baptism itself saves, but that it's necessary for salvation. Most churches of Christ, disciples of God, uh, Christian churches, church of God hold to this belief. And quite frankly, it's, it runs rampant in this area and in our region. They won't outright say that baptism saves, but they'll say that it's an essential part of the baptism process, or excuse me, of the salvation process. So literally, they keep their baptistry filled at all times with a pool filter attached to it, because if somebody gets saved, we want to make sure that we're able to baptize them very, very, very soon, because it's an essential part of the salvation process. I remember not long ago, well, no, actually, now it is long ago, when there was a a college student who came to our counseling and discipleship training, and he was studying student ministry, and he said part of his syllabus that semester was that he needed to be mentored by another youth pastor, wanted to know if I was willing to do it. We had to meet like twice a month for lunch. I said, sure, I'd love to do that. So we met several times, and then he was driving to me every time. So one time I said, "Let me I'll save you the trip. I'll drive to you. He drove like 20 minutes, so I said, I'll, I'll drive to you. So I came to his church, and I come into the church, and it's empty. I think it's like a Tuesday, and um, I walk... I walk by the stage and there's this like, just this, this, this like worrying, this buzzing that I hear coming from the stage. And I didn't really know what it was. So me being me, I asked, I was like, what's with the, woo? and he's like, oh, that's our baptistry. Now I come out of a small church before we didn't run things when things didn't need to be ran. Cause that costs money. So I was like, oh, are you having a Like you're having a, I assume you're having a baptism. Like it's a Tuesday, but maybe you're into Tuesday baptisms. That's fine. He's like, no, we always keep it running. I said, oh, me being me. So why? He said, because if anybody gets saved, we want to be able to baptize them as soon as possible. And I said, oh, and me being me. So why? And he said, well, you know, baptism I mean, it's it's an important part of the salvation process. I said, so like, middle of the night, important? He's like, well, that's not often, but yeah. I was like, but what? So he held to a view of baptism that although it wasn't, I said, so you believe baptism is necessary for salvation? And he said, I wouldn't say necessary, but I, I do think it's essential. And I thought, really? But I didn't poke, but... Baptism was such an important part of salvation that it's like, we need to be ready to do it immediately. So there's a heretical view of baptism when we believe that if we don't do that really fast, we might be in a lot of trouble because baptism is not necessary for salvation. It both doesn't save and the act in and of itself is not necessary for salvation. Uh, The thief on the cross serves as the ultimate myth buster here. Luke 23, verses 42 and following. The thief says to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise if I could just baptize you like so fast. He doesn't say that. Why? Because his faith in Jesus Christ was sufficient for salvation. His faith in who Jesus Christ is and what he's done on the cross was 100% sufficient for salvation. And therefore, he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Listen, I don't bring this up just to throw stones at other people. Like, you know, I'm a lover, not a hater. It's fine. But you need to understand that baptismal regeneration is a heresy. So, before we just spoke about whether it's babies or not and whether it's sprinkling or not, I think that's wrong. Uh, I don't think that's supported by scripture. I think you have to jump through a lot of hermeneutical hoops and look to the church fathers and say, but godly men of old saw it this way and carry the one and fill out the long form. And if you schedule C, I mean, like it'll all work out. But that's not heresy. I just think it's wrong. It doesn't attack the cross. This attacks the cross. This says what Jesus almost paid it all, right? This says it is almost finished because Jesus died on the cross and now you also need to be baptized, how are you saved? You put your faith in Jesus Christ, and that's like so close, but you also need to be baptized. And if you talk to somebody who believes in baptismal regeneration, you say, what about the thief on the cross? That's usually when they kind of look a deer, or they just try to change the subject, because you can't, you can't say this is how to be saved, and then show someone who is saved in another way, and then say that's the normative. It's not. So baptismal regeneration, I'm letting you know, as your pastor, is a false teaching, and something to be Wary of. So if someone is so into baptism, the belief that baptism saves or that baptism is essential for salvation is what is called heterodoxy. It's heresy because it nullifies what was accomplished at Calvary, causing Jesus' death to be almost enough. He should have said, It is almost finished. And therefore, you should be wary of any church or any person who believes that baptism in and of itself is salvific or is essential for salvation. It's a false. Teaching And it brings people and their actions into the center of salvation, not Christ and Christ alone. Having said that, number four, baptism is normative in the New Testament, right? Thief on the cross stories, not the norm. The norm for the New Testament, for New Testament believers, which we read about, and you and I are, baptism is beyond a doubt the norm for the New Testament Christians. In other words, it was normative for Christians to be saved and be baptized. For one, to profess faith in Christ, and to fairly soon afterwards be baptized. We see that in Acts 8 and verse 36. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the Ethiopian said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? He wasn't waiting to see if the shoe fits. He wasn't seeing if he really wanted to do it. How do I feel about that? The norm is, I'm saved, I'm baptized. I profess faith in Christ, I'm baptized. That's another reason why Um, Well, we'll get to that in a minute. But the norm is uh, professing a faith in Jesus Christ and being baptized. Acts 9 and verse 18, even Saul's conversion. Immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. Baptism isn't for special Christians. This isn't like ordination or commissioning. It's not for just the serious Christians or the devout Christian or the extra holy Christian or anything like that. You need to realize this, that if you're a Christian, if you love Jesus and trust in him for salvation, and you've not been baptized, that's not normal. Love you. That's not normal. That's not the norm for, bi- for the Bible. That's not the norm for 2,000 years of church history. The norm is belief, the, the, uh, putting our faith in Jesus Christ, and professing faith in baptism, It's also not normal to rush out and do that at two in the morning. That's also odd. But the norm is I believe in Jesus Christ. He has saved my soul. I believe I put all my faith and trust in his finished work on the cross. And I publicly profess my faith in baptism. That is the norm. Baptism isn't necessary for salvation. But it's most definitely normative for a Christian to be baptized. And to publicly profess their faith in so doing. Which brings us to point number five. Baptism is not for babies. You need to understand that there's no biblical examples of anyone being baptized apart from belief in Christ. There's no biblical example of everybody, of anybody being baptized uh, against their will or without wanting to do so themselves. And to say that just because households are baptized, surely there must have been a baby in there, is a massive assumption. So there's, the reason that point is pretty small it's because there's no biblical examples. I don't know what biblical examples to give you to prove that. Like, there's no, also no examples of elephants being baptized. I can't prove that from Scripture, but if you tell me elephants need to be baptized, the burden of proof is on you. So, there, there's no examples of a baby being baptized or anybody being baptized um, it, apart from expressing faith in Christ, baby or otherwise. So, baptism is not for babies. But number seven, or excuse me, number six, baptism is for believers. Just like you and me. Acts 8 and verse 12. But when they believed, Philip, as he preached, good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized. Read through the book of Acts and you will see belief, baptism, belief, baptism, faith, baptism. They were baptized when they believed. They believed and then they were baptized. Belief and baptism go hand in hand. So we are what you would call Credo Baptists which means there's a creed that we believe. We believe in believer's baptism because we see that in the scriptures. Baptism is for believers. Uh, Number seven, baptism makes us more like Jesus. This occurred to me for the first time ever, that by being baptized, you become that much more like Jesus because it's one more area of your life in which you've done something that Jesus also did. Jesus himself was baptized, right? We read about that in the Gospels, Matthew 3 and verse 16. And when Jesus was baptized, we, we know that Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. And lastly, number eight, baptism grows us in our obedience to Jesus. Grows us in our obedience to Jesus. In Matthew 28 and verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Once again, making disciples and baptizing them. Baptism is for believers and also grows us in our obedience because it's one more area of our life, one more area of our life to bring in line with the scriptures, bring in line with what Jesus has commanded us to do. And so those are eight points that I think are important to remember about baptism. Now, just because baptism doesn't do Anything for the believer doesn 't mean we shouldn 't take it seriously, and it doesn 't mean we should delay in partaking of it. I find that oftentimes we love our ditches and we love there 's so much safety and security that we feel if we can be in one ditch or another so there 's the ditch and I, I call the two ditches there 's always a dignified ditch and a despised ditch and uh, the ditch that you're in, you usually love, and you look over there and you despise that other ditch, and you're so glad you're in this ditch. But the two common denominators is that they're both what? Ditches, right? And oftentimes, the Bible calls us to the middle. So you have the ditch over here that says uh, baptism saves, baptism is necessary for salvation, you got to do it, you got to do it fast, you got to do it now. Then you come to the realization that, oh, salvation is by grace alone, grace alone through faith alone, Requires nothing on my part. So you go to this other ditch and you say, you know what? What I do doesn't matter. And I don't have to do any of that stuff. And you're not the boss of me because I've moved out of that ditch into this ditch. And now I'm over here realizing my actions don't matter. I'm secure in Christ and we're in this ditch. When in reality, the Bible calls us to the middle where baptism doesn't save, but what we do does matter. Baptism doesn't give us salvation, doesn't remove original sin as Catholics teach, is not necessary or essential for salvation as as, as other heretics teach, but it also does matter because God tells us to be baptized. I teach my kids to obey. Most times they do. They're great kids. you are a great kid. When they're young... It's more of like obey or else, right? They're little kids, one, two, three, maybe even four years old. It's the ultimatum of disobedience probably drives the obedience, right? Because we're not sitting down and saying, "Come on, reason with me." One year old, like you don't see the wisdom behind what I'm asking you to do. Like the stove is hot, you don't get that. Look, watch. I'm, like he, the person's one, so it's admittedly it's 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 more of a training. I don't mind saying conditioning, we are focused on behavior lest the pudgy hand be burned, right? So it's, it's, it's more of, a, it's, it's, it's more of a, uh, an aura, you, you obey or else. And it's obey or else the, 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 the consequential cost of disobedience or perhaps a discipline cost of disobedience that would be uh, given to the child by myself or my wife. They're young. They don't have the ability to do much reasoning, so obedience is tied very much to what happens if you don't obey. Growing uh, older, as they grow and mature, it's not about the ultimatum behind disobeying, but the wisdom behind obeying. Growing older hopefully doesn't mean that we stop doing the right thing because we won't get spanked right i'm going to touch the stove because i can i'm 19 <laughs> like hopefully there's a hopefully there's been wisdom that comes in he can't spank me he's not going to spank me <laughs> right that's foolish hopefully there's obedience because you've seen the wisdom behind obeying and it's not just because of an ultimatum hopefully growing older doesn't hopefully growing older means we do the right thing even when nobody's looking because it's the right thing not because there's an ultimatum attached to it we Obey because we're obedient. We do the right thing because it's the right thing. And it's the same way with our walks with with Christ. Hopefully, as we fall deeper in love with Jesus, as we read God's word, the fact that baptism isn't essential for salvation doesn't mean, oh, then I'm not going to do it. If it's not necessary, right? If hell's not attached to it, I don't need to do it. But no even though there's not an ultimatum attached to it, and even though the thief on the cross was saved without being baptized, we would want to be in conformity with the word of God. We would want to be obedient to Christ in as many areas of our lives as we can. I emphasize the fact that baptism doesn't bring about a change in the believer because we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone. Our salvation is rooted in, in Christ's finished work on the cross, his resurrection from the grave, and our faith in him alone. That's, that's it. That's it. However, a growing trust in Christ shouldn't lead us to do less for him, but, but more for him. So although there's not an ultimatum not being baptized and I want to be very clear to you there is not and if, you've, if you're a Christian and you've not been baptized you should be baptized if your life ends before you're baptized you will still go to heaven but is that the goal just not going to hell like is that the whole, is that the whole goal of our lives I just want to get out of hell I think it's to grow in Christ likeness I think it's to grow in our understanding of the word of God, to bring more and more parts of our lives into alignment and obedience to God's holy word. And so although there's not an ultimatum for not being baptized, our love for Christ and trust in his word should bring you to the point where you want to be baptized because you know obedience pleases the Lord, shows him to be good, shows him to be trustworthy, faithful, and his word true. A picture is worth a thousand words. God gives us pictures as part of the Christian life, gives us ordinances to celebrate what he has done in our lives, but also because we're, we're prone to forget. I'm sure many of you uh, look at Facebook to find out whose birthday it is, because before Facebook came around, we never celebrated birthdays. <laughs> I don't really remember how we knew. I think we used calendars, but now we oh wow, it's someone's birthday. Facebook drives me crazy. But one of my favorite, two of my favorite features are birthdays, and on this day X years ago, right? On this day two years ago, on this day four years ago, shows you a picture. Now Facebook's getting kind of, I'm not getting old, Facebook is getting kind of old. It's like on this day nine years ago. Wow. Like nine years ago, Justin was five, a lot shorter, with a lot more pudge. And I see a picture of like something we were doing at the time, and it brings back memories. That's really powerful. Sometimes I see pictures of friends, friends and I at an event that I'd totally forgotten about because we're not in touch anymore because I've moved or whatever, and it brings back memories. Sometimes it brings back pictures of people who have passed on. And it brings back memories. And even as sad as that can be, I think it's helpful, because I think grief is actually a gift from God. A picture's worth a thousand words. God has given us pictures because like the old hymn writer said, we're prone to what? Wander. Right? We're prone to leave. We're prone to forget. We're prone to put our identity in things that don't matter. We're prone to forget the importance of Calvary, the importance of the gospel, who we are, how Christ changes us. And so he gives us things like the Lord's Supper. He gives us things like baptism so that very deep, Literally life-changing theological truths might be, even if just for a second, tangible. Right? We can see it, touch it, taste it, just even for a moment, hear it, and sense it. How kind of God to give us these that we would be able to better remember because we're prone to wander. What about you? What about you? Baptism's a picture. And everyone has a different picture to paint. No two stories are alike. But everyone looks the same before baptism and after baptism because it's the same Jesus, it's the same salvation, it's the same gospel, it's the same hell, and it's the same heaven. Your story helps us who believe to remember who we are. It helps us think much of Christ. It helps others who are among us that don't believe to hear a story of gospel transformational power once again. That's why you're called to be baptized, to bring glory to God and to remind us because we are prone to wander to bring glory to Jesus Christ and to also publicly profess faith so that others might consider their standing with the Lord.